All right, let's go ahead and get started. I think everyone has a sheet. Welcome back to our systematic theology study. This time uh, we are looking at number 18, the creation of man. Uh, Just to review, last time we looked at angels and demons and looking forward, next time we'll look at the nature of sin. Um, So before we we delve in, first let me kind of give you a heads up. So we're looking at the creation of man, and although he does briefly touch on... uh, you know, the means that we're created, he doesn't delve too much into the whole uh, debate between evolution and, and intelligent design or creation. Um, this really more is about um, the, the nature that man was created with and the purpose that man was created. Um, however, if you guys want to delve into those evolutionary versus creation topics in our discussion, we can do that. <laughs> but um, we'll save that for the end if we want to do that. Um, there's certain certain things we can look at if you want to talk about um, on, on those topics, like uh, irreducible complexity, if you're familiar with that, or a cambrian explosion, you can look at carbonating, and we can just look at basic logic and reason. But uh, but let's delve into what we're we're primarily talking about this evening, and I'm going to start first this time. I'm going to kind of mix it up, and we're going to um, look at our confession first and see what it says about the topic on the creation of man. And then I'm going to read this helpful article uh, that goes hand in hand kind of with our our video before we watch it. And then as usual, we'll come back afterwards and we'll go through an overview and have a discussion. So if you have a confession, you can read along or you can just listen. Either is fine. So I'm turning to uh, chapter 4, paragraph 2 in our confession. Chapter 4 is on of creation, and paragraph 2 is uh, specifically about creation of man. Oh, here she's going to pass them out if you want to read along. It's in the back of the hymnal there, uh, if you don't have your own confession. (coughs) It is chapter 4. Paragraph 2. We are in, uh, I guess I should clarify, especially for anyone listening, we are in our Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, um, usually called the 1689 Confession, um, for when it was publicly published, not for when it was written. Okay, looking at paragraph 2. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male, and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, rendering them fit unto that life to God for which they were created, being made after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. And that, that part's important when we look at next week, um, we look at the nature of sin, and we start getting more into the fall of man. Um, but we'll focus just on the creation this time. Let's also look at uh, chapter 6, paragraph 1. Again, we're kind of previewing a little bit, but... Uh, 
I'm going to look a little bit what is related here. So chapter 6, paragraph 1, and this is where we do get into the chapter on the fall of man. Um, Although God created man upright and perfect and gave him, a, gave him a righteous law, which had been unto life, had he kept it, and threatened death upon the breach thereof, yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan, using the subtlety of the serpent to seduce Eve, then by her seducing Adam, who, without any compulsion, did willfully transgress the law of their creation, and the command given unto them in eating the forbidden fruit, which God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having purposed to order it to his own glory. So that that's a little bit more of a preview of, of next week, but it does kind of go hand in hand with the uh, creation of man. All right, let me read this article for you. I think it's really helpful to supplement the video and what we're discussing. Um, this one, I think, is a little bit longer than the last one, but I, I do think it's, it's helpful to us. So bear with me here. The origin, nature, and destiny of man are among the most important subjects God has revealed in his word. Man was God's crowning act of creation. God created mankind, male and female, in his own image. Though God created both man and animals out of the ground, he created mankind distinct from the angels and animals. Humans are moral, rational, and material beings composed of spirit and body. At creation, God prepared a special dwelling place for man, a garden temple in which mankind would worship, dwell, and commune with God. God also gave man creation mandates. God entered into a covenant of works with Adam at creation. By this covenantal arrangement, Adam was constituted as the federal representative of all mankind. That is, God established that what Adam did would be credited to his descendants as he was acting in their place. By his obedience, Adam could have secured everlasting holiness for mankind. However, when he disobeyed by eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam brought all sin and misery into the world. All mankind now fallen in Adam is under the wrath and curse of God. Thankfully, God did not choose to leave all people in that state. In the covenant of grace, God has chosen to redeem a people out of every tribe, nation, and language. By sending his eternal Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, God redeemed the elect by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man. By union with Christ, God renews his image in the redeemed. Redeemed humanity will forever dwell in the presence of God in the new heaven and new earth. The wicked will forever perish in hell under the just wrath of God. And that's just kind of the introduction. Then we get into more of an explanation of things. The Bible opens with an account of creation that culminates in the creation of man and woman as the imago Dei, the image of God. God created the habitable world for mankind to exercise dominion over as his vice regents. There are two creation accounts in the opening of chapters of Genesis. The first in Genesis 1, 1, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, and the second in Genesis 2, 4 through 25. 
The first account focuses on the beginning of creation and gives a general summary of all that God created. The second focuses on the creation of mankind as the beginning of history, since Adam was a historical being, the head of humanity. The second account also reveals more specifics about the nature of man and the specific situation in which God originally placed him. Genesis tells us that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He also formed the animals out of the ground. The difference, however, is that God made man in his own image. As God created each of the animals, birds and fish, according to their kind, so God created human beings to be the image of God kind. This serves as the ethical foundation of the sanctity and dignity of human life. We esteem and protect human life because human beings are made in God's image. Throughout church history, much debate has ensued about the precise nature of man as the image of God. Herman Bavinck explains the vast diversity of attempts to define the image. There was initially a wide range of opinion in the Christian church. At times, it was located in the human body, then in rationality, or in the freedom of the will, then again in dominion over the created world or also in other moral qualities such as love, justice, and the like. Some theologians have considered the image of God narrowly in terms of the inner moral and rational life of men and women. This coincides with the apostolic teaching about the renewal of the image of God through Christ in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And you can see Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Still others consider the image more broadly, including the body of man and the fact that God commissioned man to exercise dominion over the newly created world. There is a sense in which both the narrow and the broadly considered definitions explain the entire picture of what distinguishes man from the animals and the angels. The moral and rational parts of man are the mind, will, heart, emotions, and conscience. The material part of man is the physical body. In scripture, the quote-unquote soul of an individual is sometimes a reference to the seat of his or her inner life and sometimes a reference to the whole person, spirit, and body. After all, man exists as a duality, a creature composed of body and soul. As God's vice-regent, man was to guard and protect the garden from evil. Adam and Eve were to expand the boundaries of the garden by being fruitful and multiplying. Mankind was to turn the world into the garden temple, full of righteous image bearers who would reflect the glory and image of God. The creation ordinances and the Sabbath day reveal that God created man to both work and rest. The Sabbath day also had an eschatological element to it. It indicated to Adam that there was something higher to which he was meant to attain, namely the consummation of holiness and eternal life. When God entered into the covenant of works with Adam at creation, the Sabbath day and the tree of life served as sacraments of this covenantal arrangement. Human nature is unique from that of the angels in that God created human beings to descend from a federal head. As a representative of humanity, Adam acted as a public person in the covenant of works. You can see Romans 5. Adam's actions affected the entire human race. If he had obeyed by not eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, 
he would have secured the entire human race in holiness forever. Since he disobeyed and ate of the fruit of the tree God commanded him not to eat, Adam brought all sin and misery into the world. Fallen in Adam, all people are now born dead in sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2. Every one of Adam's descendants by ordinary generation has inherited both the guilt and the corruption of Adam's sin. Death has spread to all men, since all fell in Adam. The death that God promised would come upon man if he disobeyed included spiritual, physical, and eternal death. All mankind now stands condemned by nature and is under the wrath and curse of God. The representative nature with which God created Adam made it possible for the eternal Son of God to come into the world in the likeness of sinful men and to represent the elect as the last Adam in the covenant of grace. Christ is the federal head of his people. Jesus descended from Adam by the Virgin Mary. In this way, he is truly human, yet without the guilt or corruption of Adam's sin. As the representative last Adam, Jesus came to do what Adam failed to do and to undo all that Adam did. He kept the law of God perfectly and died in our place under the guilt of our sin and the wrath of God. Jesus bore the sin of those descendants of Adam who were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. In his resurrection, Jesus overcame death, the curse, and the judgment that spread to Adam's descendants. Jesus came to defeat this last enemy. God not only removes the guilt of Adam's sin by punishing Jesus for the sins of his people, but he also renews the image in his people by their union with Christ, who is himself the image of the invisible God. Through faith in Christ, God renews his people in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. See Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. He begins to restore the image now corrupted by the fall. The destiny of man is also a central teaching of Scripture. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that all who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have eternal life. When they die, their spirits immediately go to be with their God. The spirits of the wicked are sent to hell. At the resurrection on the last day, the bodies of the righteous will be raised incorruptible, and the righteous will dwell forever with their God and Savior in the new heavens and the new earth. This is because Jesus, by his death and resurrection of Jesus, secured far more than simply the forgiveness of sin for his people. The saving work of Christ guarantees paradise restored for believers. By way of contrast, the wicked will experience a resurrection of condemnation. They will go to hell, body and spirit, for all, all eternity. There is no postmortem hope of escaping eternal punishment since God's justice is satisfied only by the death of Jesus at Calvary. So I think that was helpful. Um, there's a few quotes here also helpful. By taking sin seriously, we take man seriously. Evil may mar the divine image and cloud its brilliance, but it cannot destroy it. The image can be defaced, but it can never be erased. The most obscene symbol in human history is the cross, yet in its ugliness it remains the most eloquent testimony to human dignity. Uh, that's from R.C. Sproul. Bodies living in fellowship with God, Adam and Eve were given the job of ruling over and caring for his creation 
as his vice regents. Thus God told them that they were to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, not by abusing and <clears throat> tyrannizing it, but by working it and keeping it, Genesis 2.15. In do- doing so, they would communicate to all creation the love and power and goodness of the Creator. Perhaps most fundamentally, <clears throat> this, is what is me- this is what it means to be God's image in the world. Just as an ancient Near Eastern king might set an image of himself on a mountain as a reminder to his people of who sat on the throne, so Adam represented God's authority to the world over which he was given dominion. That's Greg Gilbert. And the last one. Um, God calls humans to work and rest not merely because these are helpful suggestions for a good life, but because they mark what it means to be human, because they emanate together out of the divine character in whose image we have been made. We work and rest because God does, and we are crafted in his image. This is true for all human beings, whether they realize it or not. Work is the means by which we carry out our calling as God's image bearers in the world, and rest is the means by which we reflect the lordship of the Creator who made us in his image. Uh, That's Scott Red. All right. I think that was a good introduction. Let's pause, we'll watch our video, and then we'll uh, overview and we'll get into our discussion. Hopefully I have a good discussion today. All right, so we've just finished our video. It was a good one. Let's go over our overview, and then we'll look at our questions and discussion. So this session is Creation of Man, Introduction. Uh, Cultures' understanding of man's origin and being have changed due to various theories of evolution and humanism. Here we define human beings in terms of their dignity as creatures made in the image of God. So overview, the overall doctrine of creation is closely connected to the creation of man. The dignity of man is assaulted along with the assault on creation. To quote one philosopher, we are at best grown-up germs, sitting on a cog on one wheel of a vast cosmic machine that is destined for annihilation. Boy, there's a pretty picture here. Um, One of the most pessimistic philosophers was Jean-Paul Sartre, and he showed the effects of ignoring the dignity that flows from the divine creation of man. Non-Christians have no reason to give man any dignity and live on borrowed capital from the Christian worldview. As we read, starting in Genesis 1.26, just like that of the rest of creation, Man's creation is described as initiated by God. However, we are different in our function and form from the rest of creation. We are made in the imago Dei, that is the image of God. Our discussion looked at 1. Image and likeness in Catholicism. 2. The Hindiadis. 3. Medieval theologians versus Barth. The analogy of being versus holy other. What precisely is the Imago Dei? 1. Rational and instinctive. 2. Volitional. 3. Effect. 4. Male and female. The analogy of relationship a la Barth. 5. Responsibility and ability. Uh, Looks like my numbering got off. Should be 6. Reasoning back from the second Adam. A unique ability to mirror the character of God. Do we still have the image of God after the fall? Yes, though it has been marred. 
All right, questions and answers, uh, just to help us to remember. What depends upon the doctrine of creation? The dignity of man. Uh, what does the phrase Imago Dei mean? Image of God. It means the image of God. What did Karl Barth reject? Analogia entis. What relationship does the analogia relationis refer to? Male and female. Between male and female. How are human beings like God? Our rationality, our volition, and our affection. What is the unique mission of the human race? To mirror and reflect God. Yep, to mirror and reflect our God. All right, let's look at our discussion and open it up here. Um, how does man obtain dignity in a non-Christian worldview? I'm well, usually you have this very nihilistic view, right? And yeah. that everything's pointless and we're just a product of chance and we're just going to die and that's the end of things. And, you know, what's really the point? Well, if, if that's the case, then how can we have any dignity? You know, it's all temporal anyway, so our existence is about to end. Yeah, it's not logically consistent with their own view to see human beings in moral dignity. Yeah, and so it's they funny. see themselves with moral dignity, but it doesn't translate to the rest of mankind. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I have an inherent self-worth, but nobody else matters. Yeah. yeah, and so it's kind of, like you said, illogical when you see especially people who, uh, you know, they're atheists, but at the same time they're out there marching for human rights. Yeah. Well, how does that fit together? Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of times their human rights are rights. Well, yes. Like, they're, <laughs> you know, they're over there marching for the rights of their children. And it's like, this is, that's not human rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I always thought human it was death. really interesting, um, like the idea of racism stems from that, that whole idea that, you know, evolution and something less evolved. Whereas Christianity, I mean, we're all the same. We all came from Adam. Right. And and there's no difference in God's eyes there at all. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people um, tend not to put that together, how racist the whole theory of evolution really is. Mm -hmm. But yes, we, we definitely obtain our dignity from our Creator. And for any non-believer to, to try to prop up man with dignity is to, is to borrow uh, all right, how are we different from and similar to the rest of creation? Similar, we were created, we were created by God. Um, different, we were created specifically in the image of. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's true, we, all, we have the same creator, um, but only humans have the image of God. Um, so that would include, therefore, um, what he talked about. So we looked at uh, rational uh, volition and affection. So if that is the image of God, does that mean we, we don't see any of that 
in creation outside of mankind. No. No, and he kind of went through that. Um, But there is a great vast difference between mankind and, and, for example, dogs. Um, what are some opinions on the image of God in man, and what is the true nature of the image of God in man? I, I know with um, like with some opinions of the image of God, where it um, like especially in the in the secular view. Where it's like that's what you have to shed, like you're oppressed in in that that um, that it's like you have to find what you want to be, how you want to be in this world, separate from anything. So who's God in that situation? You are. You and <laughs> but that like I remember I, I remember in high school that you really didn't that it wasn't. I was in high school in the early 2000s, <laughs> so it wasn't cool to say you were in church or anything like that, and it was like, you know, you still go to church, you, you know, so you don't, you, it was more of like what you specifically could contribute to everything, how you were your own little mini God. I think one of the biggest opinions have is the argument of God is all loving versus God is loving but just. Mm-hmm. And you hear it everywhere and um, people fight back and forth whether well, God loves everyone so we should love everyone no matter what they do no matter how they act and, but God is also just so where does that come in? And, um, I just um, when I was reading through different religions and stuff in my life, I really noticed that that was like the biggest opinion and the biggest argument between different churches. And, um, knowing actual Jesus and knowing that he is just in a loving way is right. very different. Well, and, and that's a big part of what you were saying. That the core issue there is the definition of love, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very distorted definition. So... I would actually agree on a high level, we should love everyone. But when I meet an unbeliever, is it loving for me not to warn him he's going to go to hell in his sins if he doesn't repent and believe in Christ? That's very unloving for me not to tell him that. But that that's looking at love in the correct way. That's not the distorted love that we have in this culture, the tolerance. Tolerance it's, equals love. It's the whole eros-type love that that we get confused with what agape is, what true agape love is. Mm-hmm. And, and that there's the big difference between us and God. I think the like pagan version, like the, the twist, we, we say we're images of God, so we're separate and distinct from God and we reflect his glory. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a very common theme of like, oneness with the universe and so like everything is God and I am God and it's all it's not about a reflective component as being a distinct creature but rather everything fits together somehow and and it's connected and the same where 
God's word teaches us that God is completely different. It's transcendent, yes. Transcendent. He's a, another substance. He's not the same as us. He's holy and holy, holy, holy. And he's made us as his image, but he didn't create more gods. Right. I mean, we're not all part of the force. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, no, and that again, more distortions, more heresy. Yeah, and, and it's it's amazing what man is capable of coming up with um, apart from God's word. Well, it goes back. It all it, it all goes back to what, the garden and the fall, right? Mm-hmm. And the lie of Satan that God really say. Mm-hmm. And, and and us propping ourselves up as our own little sovereigns versus bending ourselves to our creator. Mm-hmm. We want everything to bend to us. Sure. Yeah, I think even often people, unbelievers, that may claim a, you know, a, a different religion, so to speak, a different God, mm-hmm. when you get down to it, they're really just being their own God, oh, right? Yeah. So. As I, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast today, and they talked about when when you remove, we try to remove God from the equation. And if you go all the way back to the Israelites in the desert, and what happened when Moses went up on the mount to commune with God, and they instantly made a, a golden calf, and then you have this rampant sexual immorality yeah. in just the span of of nothing, you know. And it, because man's gonna worship, it's you see that. And even Aaron got in on the act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, I tripped him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he tripped into the fire, and then out came the calf. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. it just popped out. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a little two-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I believe that they're inherently good. They just think that they have to be better. And their works. It's just a works righteousness. Right. right. It's not going to follow. Yeah. You know? I think they're doing that and they don't even realize they're doing that. Oh, yeah. A lot of the time. Because most of my life I did that. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting you know, uh, doing acts to get to heaven and not even realizing that's what you're trying to accomplish. Well, and it's, it's part of our fallen nature, and so we sometimes default to that without even realizing we're doing it, you know, we have to correct ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, the more you study, and it, it, you, th- you th- back early on, I felt that was a unique, uniquely Catholic thing. But once you start to parse the denominations, you find it in all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, because somehow we think we can work our way there, versus just being so just simple obedience. You know, but obedience to God's word. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, obedience to God's word. <laughs> it gives us the ability to be prideful. Yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that last comment. <laughs> All right, let's see. Final question here: uh, Do we still bear the image of God since the fall? Yes. 
but it is very marked. <laughs> yes, very, very marked. Uh, but we do. In what way do subcognitive people, like mentally handicapped or infants, bear the image of God? I think they, 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 they whether they're mentally handicapped or infants or whatever, they still um, develop reasoning. And they'll have they have a will. They definitely can, still have a will. <laughs> they still have that volition. Don't take much to figure that one out. And um, they have affections. Yes, they do. So, yeah. So even if they don't have much ability for for rational thought, they yeah. most definitely have volition and affection. God had a purpose for him being here. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's he knew me before he formed me in my mother's womb. You know, and who are we to? say anything otherwise it's um, part of that beautiful you know that beautiful puzzle that the Lord has knit in all of us being here mm-hmm. to um, to glorify him and show that um, not not saying you know but the least of these that mm-hmm. um, it, it's you know it, yeah it's just part of that um that, that's, why, that's why I became a special educator, because that does, yeah. Well, God definitely doesn't uh, give us a task without the means, right? So if the chief end of man is to glorify God, then he certainly has given us the means to do so. Absolutely. And we do so by mirroring and reflecting mm-hmm. our creator. Childhood, we, we have a lady at church who was going to tell you to pray that, but it was just precious. Her faith was just a, a childlike faith, but she was just absolutely mm-hmm. precious. Mm-hmm. Well, and she was, I think, in her 50s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have, um, or I, I hail from South Carolina, um, but there, I had a student who, um, you know, vegetative state. And, um, but without fail, that student's parents took, um, took them to church and, um, when the choir and stuff would get together and start singing, because that's the, um, the most emotive you would see that students would It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a profound statement that Christ makes in the in the incarnation. He took on flesh and he came in the form of an infant. So there, there's dignity in that. It didn't mm-hmm. strip mm-hmm. away um, any dignity for him to take on flesh. Um, so there's there's so much beauty in that that Christ was willing to do that and it did not diminish him. Right. Good. But rather he perfect. He provided that path for humanity to be perfected. Like that human nature was perfected by him coming down, taking on that human nature, adding mm-hmm. it to himself, and being fully God and fully man. He grew and he matured in mm-hmm. his human nature, not the mm-hmm. divine, but but there was nothing, um, nothing about taking on that human nature spoiled or diminished his divine nature at all. 
Yeah, there's definitely a dignity in mankind that that can only come uh, from our Creator. Well, any uh, any more thoughts on our topic of the creation of man before we wrap it up? Was it a helpful session? I think it's important to remember that all humans bear the image of God and you should treat them well. Yes. And uh, sometimes we have to be reminded of that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. um, John, would you close us in prayer? Lord, thank you for this time to be able to gather together to study more deeply about you and and uh, all that you are and and all that you've apportioned for us. Lord, I ask that uh, the things discussed tonight, um, the helpful instruction from Dr. Sproul, uh, be on our minds and our hearts, and Lord, that it uh, it come out in our in our living, and uh, that we're ever mindful that although we're made in your image uh, we are we are fallen and that uh, we all need to repent daily and that uh, the grace that you've given us we're to give to the lost among us and we ask all these things in Jesus precious and holy name Amen Amen Thank you guys